Chapter 16 of Conciliatory or Irenical Animadversions on the Controversies Agitated in Britain under the Unhappy Names of Antinomians and Neonomians by Herman Witsius, translated by Thomas Bell. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The Doctrine of Scripture Concerning the Utility of Holiness much after this manner the learned men explain their mind which appears with quite another face when the hideous visit of the most rugged phrases is torn off truly i cannot sufficiently admire why the learned men took a pleasure so as to express themselves that nothing but stones seemed to speak the ruggedness of which piled up in one well-nigh broke the brains of all the hearers by such a conduct they very badly consulted not only their own character but also the whole of the reformed religion which very imprudently and without any other probable cause is exposed to the cavils and calumnies of adversaries not very long ago anthony arnold the celebrated patriarch of the jansenists attempted to throw an odium on the doctrine of the reformed churches as hostile to piety and good works namely lest he should by any means be thought to be on calvin's side hence he took for a pretext some of the most innocent expressions of our divines which by the most unjust interpretation he rested to a wrong purpose what would he not have done if these unusual phrases and such as are similar to them had come under his review and if he had known that their authors were teachers in the reformed church and i am afraid truly lest he may have done it at least in part see jurio justificat della morale book three chapter two what an unhappy thing it is so to speak and that of determined purpose that immediately you need a tedious explication before simple and candid hearers and an apology before the less favourable and the suspicious since perspicuity is the chief ornament of speech what hindered but that omitting all these turnings and windings in obscurity you spoke clearly from the very beginning what you might hope would immediately approve itself to the conscience of pious men but let these things suffice at present as to the harshness of phrases in the matter itself there is that i approve and what i disapprove i approve indeed of the scope of all this doctrine which has this for its object that men may be called off from all presumption upon their own righteousness and trained up to the exercise of general piety which flows from the pure fountain of divine love but i do not equally approve that it seems at least in a great degree to take from good works all that fruit and utility so frequently assigned to them in scripture free justification is so to be consulted that nothing be derogated from the benefit of sanctification and as the oracles of the divine spirit which speak of the former are to be explained according to their utmost emphasis lest the merits of christ alone be anyhow diminished so those which treat of the latter are not to be extenuated by natural interpretations we must accurately distinguish between a right to life and the possession of life the former must so be assigned to the obedience of christ that all the value of our holiness may be entirely excluded but certainly our works or rather these which the spirit of christ worketh in us and by us contribute something to the latter and here again that excessive rigidity of disputation is inconsistent with the moderation and mildness of the scriptures which i shall show distinctly and in order first scripture teacheth that man must do something that he may obtain the possession of the salvation purchased by christ labour said he for the meat which endureth unto everlasting life which indeed he interprets afterwards of faith but so that there he plainly reduces it to the catalogue of works for justification is not the subject 
John 6, 27-29. And Paul expressly says, Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, Philippians 2.12. And again, Therefore, my brethren, be ye steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, forasmuch as ye know that your labour is not in vain in the Lord. 1 Corinthians 15.58 Neither because Christ is the way to life, is the practice of Christian piety therefore not the way to life. Christ is the way to life because he purchased us a right to life. The practice of Christian piety is the way to life because thereby we go to the possession of the right obtained by Christ. For it is more than a hundred times designed by the name of life, again, the way of righteousness, the good way, the way of peace, yea, that nothing might be wanting, it is called the way of life and salvation. Proverbs 6.23, the commandment is a lamp, and the law is light, and reproofs of instruction are the way of life. And, 10.17, he is in the way unto life who keepeth instruction. 15.24, the way of life is above to the wise. Psalm 50.23, whoso ordereth his way, I will cause him to enjoy the salvation of God. And what does Christ himself understand by that narrow way which leadeth unto life? Matthew 7.14, but the strict practice of Christian religion which is called the way of salvation, Acts 16.17. It is certain indeed that the true Christian lives to Christ, that is, to his glory, but it does not follow from thence that he does nothing for his own advantage. It is not contrary to the duty of a holy man to desire life, love days, and enjoy good, Psalm 34.13. Nor did Eliphaz the Temanite advise Job amiss, Pray, acquaint thyself with him, and be at peace, whereby good shall come unto thee, Job 22.21, nor is it unlawful to anticipate how good it shall be for me if I live to Christ. It is good for me to draw near to God. Psalm 73.28. In fine, it is not inconsistent to do something from this principle because we live and to the end that we may live. No man eats indeed, but he lives, but he also eats that he may live. We both can and ought to act in a holy manner because we are quickened by the Spirit of God. But we must also act in the same manner, that that life may be preserved in us, may increase and at last terminate in an uninterrupted and eternal life. Moses said excellently of old, Deuteronomy thirty nineteen and 20, I call heaven and earth to record this day against you, that I have set life and death before you. Therefore choose life, that thou mayest live, in loving the Lord thy God, obeying his voice, and cleaving unto him, for he is thy life. Deuteronomy 7.1. Observe to do that ye may live. And chapter 30 verse 6. The Lord thy God will circumcise thine heart, to love the Lord thy God that thou mayest live. Truly these speeches are not legal but evangelical. Secondly, a mercenary baseness is certainly unworthy of the high-born sons of God, but their heavenly Father does not forbid them to have any regard to their own advantage in the exercise of holiness. He not only permits but also willeth that by a patient and continuance in well-doing we seek for glory and honour and immortality, and to them who do so he will render eternal life, Romans 2, 6 and 7. And though he requires us to love him above all, yet he does not command that all love to ourselves be entirely banished. For we are not bound to love our neighbour and not to love ourselves. It is also just that the study of holiness be excited in us by this love to ourselves. For, pray, what is the end of all these promises, whereby God hath commended his precepts to us, but that, stimulated with a desire after them, we might the more cheerfully obey him? 
not to love the benefits promised is to condemn the goodness of god who promiseth not to be animated to piety through a desire after them is to abuse them to a purpose quite opposite to that for which they were designed of god david himself confessed that the precepts of god were far more desirable than gold yea than fine gold and sweeter than honey and the honeycomb even on that account because in keeping them there is great reward psalm nineteen ten and eleven and the faith of moses is commended because he had respect to the recompense of the reward hebrews eleven twenty six yea that faith is required of all who come unto god whereby they must believe that he is the rewarder of them who diligently seek him verse six but at the same time this love to ourselves ought to flow from the love of god be subordinate and referred to it it is not lawful to love god for our own sake so as to consider ourselves as the end and him as the means by the enjoyment of whom we are rendered happy but since we are the property of god whom we ought to love above all things therefore we are also bound to love ourselves in relation to him our good is therefore to be sought that in it we may taste the sweetness of the lord and that his peculiar treasure may be so much the more increased thus love to ourselves shall at last be absorbed in the ocean of divine love the subject itself obliges me to repeat here what i observed elsewhere thirdly neither is it agreeable to the perpetual tenor of the scriptures that we reap no real advantage from duties rightly performed that no evil is averted by prayers fastings and penitence and that neither peace of conscience nor joy of heart are promoted by the exercise of virtue certainly this is contrary to the mosaic doctrine deuteronomy six eighteen do that which is right that it may be well with thee add verse three he who followeth after righteousness and mercy shall find life righteousness and honour saith the writer of proverbs chapter twenty one twenty one paul tells us that godliness is great gain and that it is profitable unto all things having the promise of the life that now is and of that which is to come and that good works are good and profitable unto men one timothy six six four eight titus three eight that impending calamities are averted by penitence is taught of god jeremiah eighteen seven and eight and remarkable is zephaniah's speech chapter two verse three seek the jehovah all the meek of the earth who work his judgment seek righteousness seek meekness it may be ye shall be hid in the day of jehovah's anger further it is written in isaiah chapter thirty two seventeen that the work of righteousness shall be peace and the effect of righteousness quietness and assurance for ever in the same prophet we are also taught that if any cease to do evil and learn to do well it shall come to pass that their sins though as scarlet shall be white as snow and though red like crimson they shall be as wool chapter one verses sixteen seventeen and eighteen he also teaches that if any man rightly observed the sabbaths of the lord he should delight himself in the lord chapter fifty eight thirteen and fourteen when we believe the scripture asserting these things we do not believe that the exercises of virtue or religion merit any such thing or that the efficacy of these duties is so great that of themselves setting aside the divine blessing they can procure benefits or avert calamities but we believe so great is the goodness of our heavenly father that for christ's sake he liberally rewards the sincere endeavours of his children who rejoice to please him for god is not unrighteous to forget your work and labour of love which ye have showed towards his name hebrews six ten fourthly it is much more difficult to say what is controverted as to the evidences of grace than what should be determined according to holy scripture 
for sometimes it seems to be denied that any inherent qualities are proper evidences of justification let not thy comfort says one depend on thy personal sanctification because no certainty and constant consolation can flow from hence again from the effects of sanctification a man has reason to doubt in his own soul concerning justification whereas no effect of sanctification can show the soul its justification the soul which apprehends its justification in christ not only knows it but also lives by it and enjoys its delicious fruits peace joy and strengthening without any sanctification in itself lest any however infer from hence that sanctification may be altogether separated from justification it is immediately added as we ought not to infer our justification from any effect of sanctification so that apprehension of justification is not of god which withdraws a man from the means and the rules of sanctification for it is uncomely not to walk in holiness according to the word of god and sometimes it seems to be acknowledged that sanctification and its effects are in their kind remarkable evidences of justification but not sufficiently convincing without the witness of the divine spirit things so intricate who can explain how much clearer here is the simplicity of the scriptures it teaches a double way whereby a man may come to the certain knowledge of his state the one depends on the illumination of divine grace alone and on the most liberal witnessing of the holy spirit to our spirit but the other is committed to our own diligence what kind of witnessing of the spirit they conceive and what they experience in their own souls god and themselves know i would not deny that there is a certain internal instinct not to be explained by human language which by a secret conviction of conscience assures the beloved of god concerning their justification and adoption nevertheless since the ordinary dispensation of the gracious providence of god which is common to all the elect ought to be distinguished from those extraordinary revelations of the spirit which were peculiar to the prophets and since this witnessing of the spirit of which we now treat consists not so much in words as in facts it is credible that the holy spirit generally so works in the souls of believers that he excites their spirit otherwise languishing to the diligent observation of those qualities which are in the soul and of those things which are done in it and by it and irradiates the eyes of the mind with a super celestial light lest they should be deceived by things more specious than solid or overlook those things which god hath taught in scripture to be evidences of his grace for the spirit of god so beareth witness that he witnesseth together with our spirit in exciting it to bear a true testimony and in confirming its testimony and convincing the conscience of its truth my conscience also bearing me witness in the holy ghost romans nine one and thus indeed even the witnessing of the divine spirit is not altogether separated from the observation of the signs of grace and it often happens that the spirit of god so embraces his elect with these allurements of his most beneficent love that while they enjoy those spiritual and ineffable delights which earthly souls neither receive nor taste they are no less persuaded of their election and justification than if they saw their names engraven on the very hands of god but father it is a part of our duty to study to make our calling and election sure two peter one ten that is to endeavour that by evident signs we may be persuaded of the love of god towards us but how shall we obtain that if we give all diligence to add to our faith fortitude and to fortitude knowledge etc for if these things be in us and abound they will make us that we shall neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our lord jesus christ for he who lacketh these things is blind and cannot see afar off and hath forgotten that he was purged from his old sins verses five to nine 
therefore from a consciousness of christian virtues there arises in godly men an assurance of their election and vocation and these virtues as bernard elegantly says in his book concerning grace and free will are certain seminaries of hope incentives of love evidences of hidden predestination and presages of future felicity paul also commands that every man examine and prove himself whether he be in the faith and whether jesus christ be in him 2 corinthians 13 5 to the right performances of which examination it is necessary that first we be solidly taught from the word of god what are the distinguishing marks of a state of grace then that we begin a diligent search of our own conscience whether they can be found in us if we consult the word of god almost everywhere we find that the heirs of present grace and future glory are described by their qualities and virtues and by the exercise of these see if you please psalm fifteen and twenty four and matthew five yea in some places we are expressly taught that it is from hence that our state is to be known one john three fourteen we know that we have passed from death unto life because we love the brethren again in the nineteenth verse and hereby we know that we are of the truth and shall assure our hearts before him these words certainly signify something very different from and diametrically contrary to these assertions we lately heard since the learned men confess that sanctification is a consequence and an effect of justification and such an effect indeed which is inseparable from a consciousness of justification it is strange why they deny that it is a certain sign of justification cannot therefore the cause be known from its proper effects from one of two inseparable benefits cannot the other be inferred the brethren confess that none can have a consciousness of his justification but from faith and by faith but how does any man know that he has faith from the evidence of the thing they say for since the soul is immediately conscious to itself of its own actions it knows whether it hears the testimony of god's spirit whether it receives it and by believing answers it for faith is the echo and as it were a certain repercussion of the divine voice speaking to the soul i do not choose to oppose but pray let them tell the reason why the soul is less conscious of its affection than of its assent how comes it that i do not as well know that i frequently think with pleasure concerning god that i eagerly desire and long after familiar communion with him and am solicitous to do what may be pleasing to him and in fine am grieved when i wander from the rule of duty as that i know the sacred whispers of god to my soul is truly the voice of god and that my soul by the assent of faith answers to it hence i conclude that sanctification and its effects are by no means to be slighted when we treat of assuring the soul as to its justification neither will it be improper to compare the assurance which is from the witnessing of the divine spirit with that which arises from discerning the evidences of grace if the witnessing of the holy ghost be viewed in itself and known to be the testimony of the spirit himself truly nothing surer than it nothing more worthy of credit can be conceived which chrysostom hath illustrated to excellent purpose homily fourteen in epist ad rom utu charismatos estine phonen monon ala que tudontos tendorian paracletu otane topnefma martoer pua lupon amphitholia imenhar anthropos e angelos e archangelos e alatis tuafte dunamis tuto upisgnito can amphithalin en ikostinas tene anotato usias 
estes que dores amen tuto cedion evgerste marturuntes emin tis ampistetesi lupon perites axias this the voice not only of the gifts but also of the comforter who bestows the gift but when the spirit beareth witness pray what doubt can remain for if either man angel or archangel or any such power should promise this it might be proper to doubt but when the supreme being and he indeed who bestows this gift testifies to us even by these things which he hath commanded us to ask who pray can doubt of his fidelity i do not doubt but that the testimony of the spirit where it is present shines with such splendid rays of celestial light in the souls of believers that they are most fully persuaded it is god who speaks but i desire to hear from pious men how they experience that testimony in themselves whether by way of some constant act or intermitting indeed but very frequently repeated or whether they happen to enjoy these most pleasant whisperings more rarely and by long interruptions and intervals of time if they are perpetually or very frequently honoured with such pleasant and familiar intercourse they owe the greatest gratitude to god neither can any reason be assigned why others should envy them such extraordinary happiness but neither let them by rash judging be injurious to the generation of god's children to whom it is not vouchsafed to be so blessed that they can glory in such a frequent much less the uninterrupted witnessing of the spirit and whose faith is not generally the echo or repercussion of the internal whispers concerning the remission of their sins but an assent to the gospel as preached by christ and the apostles and committed to writing by the inspiration of the holy ghost but let us suppose it is of late that some believer has enjoyed such pleasant whispers of the spirit does the memory of it remain so deeply impressed on the mind that after a considerable time it will always be present in the soul with the same degree of light and that reasons of doubting do not now and then arise what if perhaps he deceived himself with his own imagination and took that for a dictate of the spirit which was nothing but a pleasant play of a deluded mind in the charge of souls which i have now borne upward of forty years i have often had occasion to hear doubts of that kind from those concerning whom i had no reason to think amiss but since the habits of christian virtues are permanent though not always active in the same degree and since therefore not their equal vivacity but sincerity is an evidence of grace in fine since it is not very difficult for a man to discern how he is affected towards god and from what principle and with what purpose he is engaged in the worship of god and the exercise of virtue i have generally found that more solid and permanent tranquillity arises from the perpetual study of preserving a good conscience than from the obscure remembrance of god speaking to the soul which does not used to be very frequent with the christians of our age blessed they who can say with paul our rejoicing is this the testimony of our conscience that in simplicity and godly sincerity not in fleshly wisdom but by the grace of god we have had our conversation with the world two corinthians one twelve fifthly with respect to the beauty of christian virtues and their acceptableness in the sight of the lord i thus judge that none of this life obtains such perfect holiness but that it labours under its imperfections on account of which if god should deal with us according to the rigour of the law and his highest right over us it would be rejected hence it is that our righteousness can by no means have place before him in order to justification and if any should presume to obtrude it upon god for that very purpose truly it would be loss and dung to the man himself 
neither do the brethren differ here as to the substance of the matter for i see it is taught on both sides that it is incumbent as a duty even on the best of christians to renounce all the grace they possess and all the good they do as contributing nothing at all to the expiation of sins or to the obtaining of a right to life yea that they are condemned who deny that our most excellent obedience deserves the curse according to the rigour of law and stands in need of pardon or who neglect to inculcate on their hearers that all these things must be renounced which may be found in ourselves lest in any manner they be accounted the cause of the expiation or of the forgiveness of sins but when through the righteousness of christ apprehended by faith the believer's person is made acceptable to god then his virtues which he obtained by sanctifying grace and the exercise of virtues flowing from the same grace are likewise acceptable to god and what blemishes of ours cleave to them these are covered with the most perfect righteousness and holiness of christ in the meantime since that holiness to which we were predestinated by the father which christ purchased for us by his blood and which is infused into us by the efficacy of the holy spirit is true holiness and the very image of god according to which we are renewed it cannot but even in consideration of itself because it is holiness and as it is holiness please god and in this respect christian virtues are not filthiness and dung but the beauty of the royal bride and the comeliness wherewith she is all glorious within psalm forty five thirteen and fourteen holiness becometh the house of the lord for ever psalm ninety three five further since god cannot but love himself he also delights in that which is like him and the more of his image he discerns in anything the more he delights in it charnock on the holiness of god page five hundred and nine expresses himself with elegance god is so holy that he cannot but love holiness in others by his nature he cannot but love that which is agreeable to his nature and in which he finds the lovely draughts of his own wisdom and purity it is impossible that he should not be delighted with his own image he would not be holy by nature if he were not delighted with holiness in every nature he would deny his own nature if he did not love everything wherein the image of his nature is expressed so indeed that if the devils themselves were capable of an act of righteousness god by the purity of his nature would be inclined to love it even in those naughty and rebellious spirits hence it follows that they who diligently apply themselves to the exercise of christian holiness are as acceptable to him as they are odious who obey their lusts whatever others may think i do not doubt but that is a generous and a laudable emulation of christians whereby they endeavour to excel one another in the study of godliness that as they have been taught by the gospel how they ought to walk and to please god so they would abound more and more one thessalonians four one wherefore we labour that whether present or absent we may be accepted of him two corinthians five nine end of chapter sixteen